need you to turn to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. All right, let's go ahead and stand. How many of you are ready for the winter? How many kids in here are ready for school? Okay, the parents are ready for school. We've got a couple teachers in here. Are they ready for school? She is. Nope, not a chance over here, okay? Um, how many of you loved it when your kids go to school? Amen. I did. All right, but then I realized they were going the same place I was going, so. All right, God's been good. All right, let's go ahead and read John chapter 16. It says this, These things have I spoken to you that you should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. And these things will they do unto you, because they have not known the Father nor me. You know, we're, we're going over, but, but, my, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we talked about being a servant, and then we got into some other scriptures. We got into John, and we're going through the last part of John, John chapter 13, and John, through John chapter 17. And as we look at John through 13 through 17, you're going to see a few things in this. You're going to see... Um, the Last Supper, the feet washing, and then he talks to his disciples. First thing he says is they need to be a servant. Later on he says that he's their, their friend, and he goes through this whole thing, and it's the last time he's going to see them, and it's try, he's trying to teach them what, what he wants them to understand. But as I was studying this, it's very interesting when you get to John chapter 16, because if you read the first part of John chapter 16, it repeats what was in John chapter 15. I thought to myself, you know, that's, that's us in a nutshell. Sometimes we get Texas more than one time to understand it. And he even talks about the disciples saying that they would not understand it. But there's going to be a door that they have to open. We're going to talk about these doors. And there's three doors that God wants you to have, and we're just, we're, they're there for us. We just got to open that door. Um, it's amazing when I, study, when I study God's Word how many times we've got to figure out which way to go. How many of you have ever been in a, a situation where I remember when I was growing up, my dad took us to a, a haunted house, and there were three doors, and they said one of them is good, the other two are bad, and of course we picked the first two that were bad until we got to the third one. And you know, life's not like that. God's going to direct you to that door, and he's going to tell you which way to go. He's not going to leave you high and dry. He's always a God of, of second chances, and he's a God that loves us. But there's one thing that's never mentioned in the scripture, but I want you to see it, because it shows God's patience. Aren't you thankful for God's patience? Amen. How many of you feel like you're a patient person? Let me ask you, raise your hand if you feel you're patient. Some people are, that's good. How many of you feel you're impatient? Raise your hand. How many feel like you're doing better at patience? Amen. Anybody pray for patience? No, no one prays for patience. Don't do that because God will teach you a valuable lesson not to pray for patience. Because you, He will teach you things. We don't know exactly what's going on, and sometimes we'll go through a door and we'll say, I don't understand. I'm thinking of the bishops right now as they're, we're, we're dealing with this baby, baby Reagan. And they go tomorrow to get, go to another um, doctor's appointment, find out what's going on with it, and we just need to pray for it. God can do whatever he wants, but whatever door they have to go through, we're going to be there to back them up. Which way do you go? Sometimes we wonder... And you know what, what this, this next, this next um, presentation reminds me of my life. You ever been to a door, and you, you, you think God wants you to go through it, you go through it, and it's not where God wants you to go. You're going where you want to go. Can I tell you, you know what's after that door? Another door. 
You know what, in my life sometimes, I just repeat the same things over and over. I've seen people, I was growing, when I went to college, I saw a guy that would tie his tie all wrong. But it always ended up right. So you can't argue with him, but you want to say you're doing it all wrong. And then he said, well, listen, this is how I was taught how to do it, this is how I'm going to do it. And that's how he went through that door. And then he tried to teach me, how many men in here can tie a bow tie? Okay, there's about two or, two or three of you, four of you. When they give me those, I have no idea how to even start. All right, and so what I do with normally things in my life, I don't understand them. I just give them to Daniel and say, can you figure this out, amen? Because he had his hand up. I don't know, Mitchell said he could do it. Taylor said he could do it. Who's over here? Mitchell over here said he could do it. And as, as, I, as I think, I can't do that. I've tried and tried and tried. But in my life, sometimes I'll go through it. God will tell me, you shouldn't do this, and I'll open the door anyway. Guess what's, that, what's after that door? There's another door. And sometimes I, I can't imagine if I was God how impatient I would be. Because every time he's showing me, he says, listen, go through this. This is not the door I want you to go through. You went through it. I'm going to teach you another lesson. You're going to go through the same door, same door, and it just keeps going, and it just keeps going, and finally we're, this door is right in front of us. He's talking to his disciples, and he said, listen, you're, you're not going to understand everything that's going to happen. And surely their emotions are going all the way across the board with this whole thing. You're going to be leaving, and you're going to do what? And you're going to bring the Holy Spirit. What? The Spirit's going to come. What? The Comforter's going to come. What does that mean? You're our friend. You, you're, we're, we're, we're our, your friend. We're a servant. You want us to serve. You go all the way through this. You washed our feet. There's so many different things in this aspect. Their emotions are going everywhere. And then he tells them, he says, listen, I'm not going to be here forever. But I'm going to send something your way. If you were to take in, in um, this portion of Scripture and you looked at John chapter 15, verses 18 through 27, if you break that down, it just basically tells you that the world's going to hate you, but the Holy Spirit's coming. Because if you, if you go to the last part of it, it goes in verse number, I think it's um, verse number 26, it says, But when the Comforter has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall also bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. So he says, listen, the ones that hated me are going to hate you. The world is going to think that they're, they're, they're doing um, God a favor by taking you away. And then he stops, and he goes into verse number, chapter 16, and he says the same thing again. Because I don't think he, as he's talking to them that they get this, they understand it. In fact, you can, it's obvious as you read this chapter. And he starts talking to them and he says, listen, he says um, in John chapter 16, 1 through 13, he says, as we've read some of it already, jump down to verse number 5, it says, but now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you ask me whether, thou, whether goest thou. But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. So he's saying the same thing again. It's been said, and we've got some teachers in here, it's been said that repetition is what kids understand. You have to repeat it, you have to repeat it, you have to repeat it. And if you ever had the privilege of having a new animal, guess what you're going to do? You're going to repeat, you're going to repeat, you're going to repeat. You get so familiar with your, your animals, and sometimes I carry on a whole conversation with my dogs. They don't understand what I'm saying. It's just the tone of my voice. 
You know, I'll say, I'm going to come back. They have no idea what that means. They just look at me, okay. And then when I come back, it's like I think they understood me. My daughter and my son-in-law out in California sent us a picture. Larry Hilton, you're going to like this. They were at an adoption thing, and they were holding the kitten. I started praying for their salvation right at that point. In fact, the only thing that I said to them, I, I sent them some advice. You know what the advice was? And I had my wife, I said, you send this to them. This is the advice. Tell them that that cat will live for 19 years. That's a lot of litter. Amen? That's a lot of smell. It's a lot of hairballs. A lot of scratching. You know, when you train something, guess what? It's repetition. Jesus is talking to his disciples and said, listen, they're not going to like you. You don't understand this yet. You haven't seen the persecution you're about ready to see. They're going to think that they've done something great, and there's going to be people that are going to say bad things about me. And everything that they said about me, they're going to say about you because you're, we're one and the same. You're going to be doing my work since I'm not going to be here. But then he always ends it with this. He says, listen, the comforter's coming. When they say that, we understand it. When he said it, they didn't understand it. The doors that, that they're about ready to open with the comforter coming, they have no earthly idea what's happening. They don't understand when he says in verse number 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient that you that I go away, and if I go not away, the comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he has come, he will approve the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Now, what I like about Jesus is he tells them this, then he explains to them what he means. Look at these three words. It says, He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, if you keep reading in verse number 9, it tells you what these mean of sin because they believe not of me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. You know what I like about that verse? It shows me that God knows them and knows what they can handle. He knows you and knows what you can handle. He's not going to give you something that you cannot handle. And here he's talking about, I, I talk about patience because he is just being very kind for them. Keep reading in verse number 13. It says, How be it when ye, the Spirit of the truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For ye shall not speak of himself, he, he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he, sh, ye sh, he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. You know, when I, when I was looking at these, the, these two comparisons, he's just repeating again to them, so when it kicks in, they'll understand it. It shows his patience to them. If you've had any children, do you remember when you told them to do one, you told them to say, you said at one time, I told you one time you better do it. And what, what do children normally do? It's right above their head. They're thinking about their next game they're going to play. They're thinking about the next television show's on and you have to repeat it. It was amazing to me growing up. If my mom told me to take out the trash, it was kind of delayed a little bit. But if I heard my dad's voice say, you need to take out the trash, I knew what that meant. I better take out the trash now. And, this, and you're going to be shocked, all you young millennialists, we didn't have a DVR. You couldn't stop the, stop the thing and come back and see it. You couldn't record it. 
Now this is, you know, I'm not, we're not reel to reel. We were eight track when I first started in this, and then we got into the cassettes and stuff. And some of you don't even know what those are. But I remember thinking if I wanted to watch the end of that show, I'd have to wait 13 weeks to see it again. Remember that? How many of you had the TV that you would, when you'd shut it off, it'd come to a spot right in the middle? Remember that? You'd just see the TV go, and it'd be a white dot. I remember one time my mom came home and she told us we shouldn't be watching TV. We forgot about how long it took the TV to shut off. She drove up in the, in the driveway and um, we shut the TV off and, and there's that white dot in the middle. She came in and she started talking to us and we're all standing in front of the television. We're just praying that a little white dot would disappear. I can't remember if it disappeared or not, but I was thinking, oh, Lord, please don't let that dot show up. And, um, boy, we've changed a lot, haven't we? How many times did God have to tell you to do something? He keeps repeating and repeating it. I want, you to, I want you to really grasp this. He is a very patient God. How many of you believe that He's a patient God on you? He's a patient God on me. Because sometimes I walk through that one door and that other door and that other door and that other door and, another, and He's just waiting for me to right, open the right door. Sometimes I, I, it takes me a long time. My, my, um, my former assistant pastor, I would ask him, I'd say he was stubborn, he'd say he was steadfast. I don't think there's much difference between stubborn and steadfast. We've got to get back to understanding that God has a, a plan for us, we need to stick to it. And he is such a patient God. And I am so thankful he's patient. Because there's three doors that we're going to look at today, and the first one is patience. He is a patient God, but if it, with His patience, He gives us two things. In this scripture that He talks to His disciples, when He's talking about the Holy Spirit, He gives us joy and He gives us peace. Aren't you thankful for joy and peace? Now let's look at these and we'll break them down. We've already looked at patience, how He repeated the same thing to them. God's patience in our life. Aren't you thankful for that? I don't know what you're going through, but I can tell you this, you have a patient God. Now there's sometimes He's a jealous God. And he's a righteous God. And sometimes we can cross the line and he'll, he'll, he'll judge us. But the first thing we've got to realize is that he shows patience to his disciples by repeating the same thing two or three times to them in one setting. And I could tell you they didn't get it because they have questions. And there's nothing wrong with questions. But when God's speaking to you, you better follow it. So let's look at the next one, our joy. There's a couple times joy is found in, in the scriptures there's four out, of five, four out of these five verses we're going to look at the word joy. I want you to go to verse number 20. Jump down to verse number 20. And it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into, what's the last word? Joy. Now, if I were to tell you that your sorrow is going to be turned into joy, you'd say there's no way that can happen. Those are polar opposites of each other. Correct? You know, let, let's, let's say this. Do you remember the first time that you asked for something for Christmas and you got it? Was that sorrow or joy? Joy. Okay, do you remember the first time you wrecked your dad's car? Was that sorrow or joy? Depending on if you didn't like the car or not. Remember one time I had the privilege of wrecking two of our vehicles at one time, amen? Thank God dad was standing right beside me when I did it because he saw that I didn't do it. Because if I would have said that I didn't do it, he wouldn't have believed it. But he was standing right beside me. How many of you know what a Corvair is? 
Anybody know what a Corvair is? It was column shift up on the top, and it was in neutral, had no park. So I took off the brakes, and I said, can I start it? He had just sold the car to somebody, and the Honda Civic was sitting right behind it. And I said, can I rev it up, Dad? Can I rev it up? And I had my hands on the steering wheel. I revved it up, and it was between gears. I didn't know it. When I revved it, it did something to it, popped it in reverse. It took off backwards. My sister and my mom were sitting in the car right behind me. I knocked out both the headlights of the Honda. My dad is yelling, no, 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 but I don't have enough reaction to step on the brake before I hit it. All he could show me was a four-inch scratch that I made on the back of that Corvair. And he also proceeded to tell me that he had just sold the vehicle. And my sister, and my mom's crying in the front seat, my sister's laughing in the front seat. That's what sisters do. But can I say this? I, I did not have joy in it. I think TK had joy in it, my sister, but my mom had sorrow, I had sorrow, and I don't even know what my dad had. He was not happy with me. Sorrow and joy are totally opposites, right? But the Bible says, listen, in this first one, he'll turn your sorrow into joy. You know what that is? Is because he's going to show his disciples exactly how to change a bad situation into a good situation, because sometimes in a bad situation, God's teaching you some things. Look at the next one. Not only this is an example. Look at um, John chapter 16, verse 21. John chapter 16, verse 21 says this. It says, A woman when she is in travail has sorrow because her, her hours come. But as soon as she, she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. The joy of the sorrow and the pain turns into joy. Our first child, my, my wife had a, a long delivery with her. And it just happened to be in June. Now, I want to tell you what June is for all you sports people. It is the NBA playoffs, okay? And I remember being up in the, in the hospital with her during the NBA playoffs. And I was the kind of person that I didn't like, the team that everybody liked. I wanted the underdogs, and everybody was cheering for Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. And so when we, would get, when we were in the hospital, she would say, turn the TV, I don't want to watch the NBA playoffs, because we were cheering for the other team. I think it was Phoenix Suns. So we'd start cheering, and all of a sudden a contraction would come in you, and she'd say, shut off the TV. I was like, okay, I'll shut the TV off. And she'd come out of that contraction, why is the TV off? Turn the TV back on. Okay. We'd start watching, shut the TV off. I was like, okay. She doesn't even remember this. I should have videoed it. But I lived in an era where we didn't have videos at that point. Amen? <laughs> to her glory. Our second child comes along. She's bedridden with this child. We've went up to the hospital numerous times, little Meredith. And, and um, I remember when we go in there, we, we said, listen, my wife said, finally, after about three or four times of going in there, eating as much ice as you possibly can, chewing on ice, walking through the hospital rooms, the, she told my, uh, the nurse, she said, listen, this baby's coming. The lady said, no, it's not. She said, well, we're, we're just, because of everything you went through, we're going to break the water. She breaks the water of the baby. 17 minutes later, the baby's born. Baby starts crowning, and then all of a sudden, um, she says, I want an epidural. She said, oh, no, honey, you can't have an epidural on this one. It's going to be here before that would take effect. We signed the paperwork of her being for, her, for them to deliver the baby 40 minutes after the baby was delivered. The first one was in the birth canal so long, his, her forehead was about six inches long. The second was just a perfect delivery. Her, she just looked normal. Can I tell you something? When, when it was all said and done, if you ask Anne about the travail of the delivery, she doesn't remember anything other than the joy of the child. 
right? And that's what it's talking about. Watch this. How many of you had a, had a delivery that lasted over 10 hours? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. 10, 10 hours. Raise your hand real high. Here we go. Uh, 12 hours. 14 hours. We still got a couple up there. 16 hours. 18 hours. 20 hours. Wow. Thank God I'm a guy. 22. 24. It's between these two right here. 25? How many hours? 41. Let me ask you this. 41 hours. Is he worth it? There's probably times when you think, I don't know if he's worth it. Everybody knows Landon. Do you think he's worth 41? Oh, anyway, okay. But the verse clearly states he's going to turn this pain into, into joy. That's what he does. Keep reading on the next one, not only this, with the joy. It says in the next verse, it says in verse number 22, it says, and ye know, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. God, man won't be able to take this joy from you. When you're discouraged about me leaving, it's going to be joy because you're going to understand why I did what I did. And it's going to happen three days after I, after I die. This joy is going to come back. People are going to try to take it away from you. Don't let them take it away from you. Don't let them lie to what, what's going on. We've got to understand what the joy is. God wants us to understand the joy is going to be staying. Look at the next one. Not only this, there's nothing wrong with asking. So in verse number 23, And in that day you shall ask me nothing. Ask me nothing. Very, very, I say unto you, whatsoever you shall ask unto the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This is the thing that he's promising him. And the last time joy is found is in this next verse. It says, Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name's sake. Ask and ye shall receive, and your joy may be full. Isn't that interesting? He's saying, listen, I'm going to show patience to you, and in through this patience and the problems that you're going to go through, I'm going to give you joy. It's all the way you look at things. You've got to have joy in your life, and it's going to be full. Now, the issue of this whole thing is the comforter. Now, let's go through this. What are the um, fruits of the Spirit? Let's, let's list this. Love, joy, peace. Wait a second. Those are the two that the comforter has to come to show them the peace that they need. Because we try to find joy in life, we're not going to find joy in life. The only way we're going to find joy in life is um, when, when the Holy Spirit en en engulfs us. But now we have the peace. And love, joy, and peace, those are all fruits of the Spirit. So he's told these men that this comforter is going to come and he's going to take over and everything's going to be okay. The comforter is the fruit of the Spirit. He's going to give you all these. Let's look at what it says about the comforter. In John chapter 16, verses 29 through 33, look at what it says. It says, 29 through 33, it says, His disciples said unto him, Lo, thou now speakest thou plainly, and speaketh no proverbs. To them, he's saying things, and they're not getting it. And he says, Now you're saying with no proverbs. Now are we sure that thou knowest all things, and needest not that any man should ask thee. By this we believe that thou camest forth from God. Jesus asked them, do you now believe? Now this is a light, light clicking onto them. They're understanding, hey, God sent him. 
And look at verse number 32. Behold, the hour cometh, yea, he is now come, and he shall be scattered, every man to his own, and shall leave me alone. And, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. That's a very important part. He says, listen, you're going to leave me, and you say you're going to love me. And I wonder what, how Peter must have just arched his back at that point and said, listen, I'm going to be the one that's going to stay with you. Of course, he tells Peter later on that he's going to be the one that denies him three times. He says, listen, I'm going to stay with you. But he says, don't worry, I'm not going to be alone. Aren't you thankful you're never alone? There's something about going into a prayer closet and praying and not know, just shutting the world out and knowing that you're not alone because God's with you. And there's a peace that passes all understanding. He says, listen, you, you're going to look at my life and say, okay, why is he gone? And they're going to doubt it for three days, then they're going to see him again? And everything's going to change. And as, a, as we look at the story, I look at the story and I think, man, these guys, there were, there were dead people walking in the streets. There were earthquakes. The veil was rent from the top from the bottom. All these things would lead them into understanding who Jesus was. But they needed to see him. Remember what, what Thomas's first name was, his nickname? Doubting Thomas because he didn't see him. He said, listen, I'll believe when I can stick my finger in his hands and his sides. But there's going to be a peace that passes all understanding. He says, listen, you're going to leave me and I'm going to be all alone, but I'm not going to be all alone. Can I tell you this? You're not going to be all alone. You can have joy and peace because God's always with you. We can, under, we can understand this, that God has patience for us. He wants us to have joy. He wants us to have peace. Now look at this last verse. It says this, These things, in verse number 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that you might have peace. Their world is about to be rocked. Their world, as they know it, is going to change forever. And they're going to look at it as devastating. He says, listen, through it all, you can have peace through this thing. Keep reading, it says, in the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You know what God wants in our life? He wants us to have joy and He wants us to have peace. You can't have those without the Holy Spirit indwelling you. This morning when you walk out of church, this is what I want you to remember. That God is a patient God. He's very patient with you. He might have to repeat two or three times. How many of you ever had to learn the same lesson more than one time? I have. Numerous times. And He shows patience along the way. Plus, I want to tell you this. As you're going through this, He wants you to have joy. I've met Christians that are miserable. Why? Man, we've got a lot to live for. There's a lot of joy in this. I love Christmas time. I love seeing the word joy real big and peace real big. And that Christ being born on earth brought joy and peace into the world. The Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit indwells you, one of the, the attributes of the fruits of the Spirit is joy and peace. You can have that. You say, well, I don't know what you... What, what, you don't know what I'm going through. Can I tell you, it doesn't matter what you're going through, you can still have joy and peace. I've seen some most miserable people have everything that they want and have Christ and still have no joy or peace. But then I've seen some people that have nothing, have a lot of problems going in their life, and they have joy and peace. You know what changed my girls' lives? A mission strip. They went to China. They got to go to Hong Kong, Taiwan, and China. Is that right? And they were there for many days. 
What changed their life is when they found out that some of these people from China had gotten on a bus and they wanted to see the white people from America. I remember the guy saying, hey, you need to send some things over there that, where they could give to the kids that said America on it. So we went to Walmart and bought shirts that had flags on it. Send to the people in China. They said America and they said all these things, American flags. Then we looked at the tag and it said made in China. So we gave them the shirts that they made, we gave them back to them. But I remember when they came home, they said they, got, they had the privilege of going into one lady's house, and she was a joyful lady. They said the only thing she had on her wall was a stuffed animal she had won. And she had stapled it to the wall. But you know, you looked at her face, Cecil, she had the joy that no, you couldn't stop. She had the peace that passes all understanding. And I want to, I want to end this with you, with you. You can have joy and peace in your life. You don't have to have objects. And great if we have objects. I mean, I'm not, I'm not against running water. I'm not against electricity. I'm not against modern technology. I am not against Facebook. I don't have a Facebook page, but I'm not against it. But what I am against is everybody's got everything and not, they don't have peace and joy. Because if God can be patient with me, I can find joy and peace with him. And he wants us to live in a, in a manner that shows people that no matter what you're going through, no matter what's coming around the corner, that there's joy and peace. Some people shock me sometimes. I just go, wow, I just can't believe they're, the attitude that they have with everything they're going through. They've got such a good attitude, and I know really down deep what's going on. That's trusting in the Lord. That's where joy and peace come from, trusting in Him. So don't ever think that God doesn't show patience to you because He showed patience to the disciples. And if He wanted the disciples to have joy and peace, do you not think He wants us to have joy and peace? And the only way you can do it is being filled with the Spirit. Let God direct who you are. Now, my last statement is this. When you look up here, it says, God's patience, our joy, our peace. John chapter 16, verse 29, and the comforter is the main thing. But let me ask you this. God has a plan. You need to stick to it. His disciples could have sat, sat to him and said, listen, don't do this. We'll do it another way. We'll figure it out. But he knew what the plan had to be. He knew he was going to go. He knew he was going to be falsely accused. He knew he was going to be beaten. He knew who was going to beat him. He had to stick to the plan. God has a plan. We just need to stick to it. That plan includes God's patience, our joy, and our peace.